Well, it has been a long time. Welcome back to Waterproof Records. And today I welcome my guest, my friend, drummer, comedian, all around great dude, Matt Neal. Hey. I don't think I've not done any video podcasts. You haven't done any video podcasts? I haven't done a live podcast with another human. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been on, uh, I think, This your is the po- first one. Yeah, but I've been on your right? podcast, I think, maybe five times. Uh, definitely three, <laughs> maybe four. I'll have to look. I, I mean, over the years. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you um, have... Okay, well, first and foremost, before we get into that, so... I know I've been gone for a while. Thank you guys for being patient. You know, the last episode was um, was my friend Charlie Talbert for the Angus soundtrack. And then it was the holidays, you guys. And so when it comes to the holidays, it got harder and harder to, you know, be able to record any episodes. And then I went on this big, long hiatus and vacation and got COVID, like almost everybody did. And uh, it's just been tough to do things. But now I'm back and uh, I have known Matt for. A decade now. It's got to be close to that. Yeah. I think I met you in 2012 or 20, around that time. Yeah. 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 It's weird. I was thinking about that on the way here. I was like, you know, in a town where it's strange anyway. Yeah. Like we've been friends for a long time. A long time. And, you know, friendships as an adult are hard enough. Yeah. Friendships in a giant city like Los Angeles also. Forget about it. Very difficult. And then you know, artists, whatever yeah. we want to call ourselves. Yeah. I think we, I think we are justified in saying that we're artists. Generally flaky. Yeah. Um, true. Maybe it's the dad thing that makes us more responsible than, than the average bear, you know, but yeah. like age and fatherhood and the responsibilities yeah. that we've taken on. Yeah. Yeah. But you got, you got to nurture friendships, which is the thing that's so weird because you grow up just getting friendships. Like yeah. people move from school to school and that's why it's so difficult because you have to redo that. Yeah. Whereas like if you didn't move a lot as a kid, if you stayed in one spot, yeah. you got your friends when you were five. And then you kept them and you all had them. the way through. <laughs> you didn't earn them right, really. Right. Yeah. I mean, kind of like little kids bond yeah. or whatever, but I mean, Come on. And then you live with people in college. They live there with you. That's too easy. It's so easy. Like to stay in contact. So then, you know, you moved out of your home state. I moved out of my home state. Yeah. What I'm saying is I cherish good friendships. Yeah. And it's really cool to, to, to see this. have us and as it's, friends. And it's also weird that you are like a viral TikTok star. <laughs> and when you're talking to that, there's people paying attention. <laughs> It's so weird. It's right. Like, it's right. not a live audience, but it is a little. Like you know, people are going to see it. It's weird. Yeah. But cool. I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> whatever. Well, I'm stoked. It's true. We've known each other for a while. And, 
he he met the criteria for my show, which is I've mentioned this on the show before. Um, and when we talk about the friendships and the people that we've accumulated in LA, I've accumulated friends over the years, and I can actually define my time in LA by these different friend groups. Yeah. And there's a very specific pocket that revolves around stand-up comedy. And I wouldn't even say that that circle is as an existence anymore as much as it used to be. You know, there was an era five, six, seven years where my primary circle of friends were all comedians. And that's actually how Matt and I met. We met in stand-up comedy um, through a mutual friend and hilarious comedian, Haley Boyle. And she's the one who introduced us. And that was a big part of my life for a long time. And when I started doing a podcast, all the other podcasts I had been a guest on and a part of, um, besides the one I do for work, had been comedy-driven, had been created by comedians. Mm-hmm. And so I knew when I started this, I knew when I started Waterproof Records, I was like, I'm not going to allow comedians on the show unless mm-hmm. they have some footing, yeah. some foundation in music. Yeah, And... If there's anything that Matt and I not only connected with about with comedy and funny and being uh, being guys with kids, uh, being married men, but we connected on music. Yeah, we uh, right out of the gate started talking about bands, and then it was around that time in those early days that I learned that you were the drummer of Mariner Nine. I was. Mariner 9. Now, a lot of you guys may never have gotten a chance to know about Mariner 9 because they had some moderate success, but it was, would you say that in the Philadelphia community, there might be a good chance in the alternative rock scene in the 90s, you had heard of Mariner 9? Yeah, I mean, I think when we we were, you know, together playing all the time, our, our our people kind of moved from the suburbs of Philadelphia where we got our start in Westchester, Pennsylvania through college. We kind of moved to the city from there. And, um, at one point when we kind of like had to officially stop playing because we, like I moved my bass player, Dave moved, uh, at one point across the country. Um, and then, uh, Jason, the guitar player moved to San Francisco. We're like, well, we can't really, play together right. anymore. So we're going to have like our last show, Yeah, but it wasn't like a bad band breakup or anything like right. that. It was just like logistically this has to end now. Yeah. And in some ways, like, you know, creatively we were really, um, bummed out is the best way I can put it is that then with no internet, it was really, really, really hard to get anybody to know who you were. Sure. Right. I can't even imagine. So, so we had reached the point where it's like, well, we keep doing what we love to do and we show up to these shows and 10 people are there. Like, that's great, but it's not sustainable. Like you get to a city and your record's not there because the distributor didn't get it to the record like store in time. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows you're there or what, like it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So we were kind of like, I guess we're done kind of. And, uh, so we had this like farewell show and it was packed. Is this 1998? This is 98. 
Uh, yeah, around it must then. have been around then. Yeah. yeah, I did my research. Um, and so we had this farewell show kind of thing, and it was, I mean, the outpouring of of people being into it was so interesting. Yeah, because it was kind of like, well, I wish you could all be at every show. Right. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because this would we wouldn't be stopping. Right. Right. So it, it was just like a bummer. Like this business is so hard to crack. And we did almost everything you could possibly do to be as successful as we possibly could Yeah. in touring, getting the word out. We were, I would say, ahead of the game in our ability to record our own music. We had created studio by then. Um, Wait, you created your own studio? Yeah, we yeah, the, the, it still goes today. It's called Minor Street Records. Like Brian McTeer. My, what? Uh, it's, dude, it's insane. Like, I have to visit this someday. Oh I my would God. I love to see that. It is incredible. It's yeah. incredible. Minor yeah. Street Records is a museum of, uh, not a museum. Uh, 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 I don't even know how to describe just how yeah. beautiful yeah. It, a space it is. Yeah. Um, and iconic. The sound in that room, I mean, it's just whatever the sound of angelic voices that people talk about, yeah, that's yeah. that that room to me because not only is it just amazing, but also the things that we did there together. And, I mean, we reunited a couple times. I say reunited because we all were in the same place to make records over and right. over again, and we're hoping to do it again this year. Yeah. Um, and it just is this magic that settles in when we play. It's the tone... Yeah. It's whatever that is after five years, not seeing each other in the same room and we sit down and just hit it. It's yeah. like, holy shit. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's just yeah, magic, magic. And That's um, amazing. So that never went away. And, and we kind of talk about like, we were the best of friends and like we toured easily we love touring now we yeah. never toured for months at a time on a bus and got sick of each other yeah okay but we did regional tours for a week two weeks a yeah. lot yeah and it's hard and it's tiring when you're not getting paid and nobody shows up and you sleep in the van too much and you know it's hard but we loved it like we had so much fun yeah, it's like, something that I've never done, Tour, oh, touring as a musician, and it's been a dream of mine just oh to experience it a little bit. We were we toured in a van. Yeah. Okay, we went from the bass player's mom's minivan to a van van, like a, a badass Real brown Astro van. <laughs> carpet on the ceiling. Oh, I love it. God, you're, I mean, you're killing me because this sounds dude, like the dream. It, That's the dream. It was so much fun, and like... We built a, uh, a loft to put all our equipment in, yeah. and you had to sleep on it and, and on top of it, but you couldn't roll over in the space. Yeah. You had to choose which way you were going to go in, and that was your sleeping. Incredible. And I couldn't do it. Like, I was too claustrophobic to do yeah, it. I could never go up there. Um, so I either didn't sleep or sometimes I slept on the, on the futani thing, the, the, yeah. back, the back uh, laid flat. Right, right. So it was like one of those vans that would have captain's chairs back in yeah, the day with yeah, a window. Yeah, totally. But um, 
it was, uh, had that, that convertible seat. It was, uh, to say I love that van is like, does it exist? Uh, or is it long gone? It's long gone. It, yeah. it really, it really got beat. This was the nineties, yeah, man. Yeah, it it got, be surprised if it lasted that long. We, we didn't kill it. I did sell it. Yeah. But, um, I don't know what became of it. And by the time we sold it, I mean, it was, it was trashed, yeah. you know, Yeah, of course. But, but we didn't graduate to bus. That was our level. Yeah. We, we were a van band Yeah. and we did a lot of regional stuff. I played South by Southwest. Um, wow. Back yeah. before it was the, the thing that it is. 97. Yeah. I think it was yeah. 97. Um, and you know, it was weird. It was weird being a band. Then we felt so good about what we were making Yeah, and so helpless yeah. to make any headway, you know, um, what a different world we live in now from what you guys God were damn, experiencing. It'd be so different. Right. It'd, it'd be, be so, so different. different. It really would. In a really good way. I mean, we were there for the, like we saw the beginnings of, of Napster and like, I think one cool thing about Brian McTeer and you'll have to link to his unbelievable catalog of, of life and work. Like yeah. what a brilliant, brilliant person. But like, we've always kind of stayed ahead of the curve technology wise in terms of like having a website, having a MySpace page. Like we were, we did all the things, yeah. but the people weren't there yet. Yeah. Like they are now, like they are now, but That's also the whole idea is you don't need everybody. Yeah. You need your people. Mm-hmm. So if we could have assembled our people around the country that, that the one or two here or there, yeah, it would have been a different game and that's long way to get to. Yeah. We didn't realize how much people liked us in the scene until we stopped being there. Yeah. And it was a bummer. Yeah. To just be like, yeah, absolutely. Well, so for those who don't know about the band, uh, Mariner nine, uh, you can actually, so first of all, you could right away, you could go on to Bandcamp and you could look up Mariner 9 and you guys have pretty much your entire catalog there, yeah. and very prolific. You guys wrote, yeah. you know, a lot of albums and then you've released a lot of unreleased material in these iceberg, iceberg, iceberg what, series, iceberg yeah. series, one, two, and three. And I, I got a chance to really dive into the, the first main studio record. What's the title of that one again? The shallow end of the gene pool, the shallow end yeah. of the gene pool. Yeah. So I got a chance to listen to that one. Great stuff. Yeah, and then I listened to twenty, which was right. the twenty year reunion. So yeah. it, all all that being aside, you should definitely check it out. But I was going to say, um, so Mariner Nine, you guys started in nineteen ninety one, January twelfth. We just passed our anniversary. You just yeah. did, yeah. and and this is in Philly. Yep, and yep. Uh, that you guys were all from there. Yeah, and this this time period in your life, you were probably in your what early twenties. Or, oh, or teens. teens. I mean, teenager. yeah, I just graduated the summer after high school. I joined the band. Joined the band. Yeah. Yeah. And they had started in high school as like a, um, like a, a covery band, Simon and Garfunkel, like yeah. folky stuff. Cause they all went to this really amazing prep school in Pennsylvania called the Hill School. Yeah. You know, very dead poet society yeah. deal. Yeah. And I was the outsider kid. I went to the local, uh, uh, Catholic high school and I was a year older than, or I guess me and Dave were both a year older than Brian and Jason. So they were still in high school and Dave and I, uh, were going into, I guess, freshman year of college. So like 
it's so funny. My memory's so murky on, on these, these dates. They're so far out, but like, yeah, it was, it was, I, I, and the funny thing, this is the funny thing in synchronicity and why I believe in it so viciously. So I went to this little Catholic grade school. I'm a recovering Catholic, by the way, um, (laughs) which is probably something we have in common. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, uh, I went to this little grade school, uh, called St. Al's, St. Aloysius. And, uh, in, I was in, I must've been in seventh grade. I'm probably getting this wrong. It was towards the end of my tenure at this grade school. Yeah. This new kid came to school named Brian McTeer. And, uh, I don't remember how we got together because a underclassman in that time period, you don't have much crossover. Sure. The only thing I can think of that maybe brought us together. I don't remember meeting him. I just know he was just there. Um, but like we both were drummers. That must've been it. Cause we had both already been into music and we actually had this, um, this class that wanted to produce a live music little show yeah. and wanted as many kids that played instruments to be in the band. Cause the music director was kind of an all instrumentalist guy and he was pretty yeah. competent at it. And I guess he thought he could pull it together with kids that young. You know, it's pretty ballsy when I think back on yeah, it. Yeah, totally. So Brian and I were the drummers of the school. We were the only two that played the drums. And we had this, I I certainly felt, maybe he did too, like this little competition of the songs that we're going to get to do. Like Brian was so much better than me. Yeah. And I knew he would get the better songs and he did. At the <laughs> and, and I was just like, fucking fuck you know like so there was this weird little competition there but we were really we became really good friends yeah um and talked music for hours on the corded home phone like led zeppelin and just like all that stuff and then i graduated and went to high school he went to the hill school and we really lost touch for a good part of like three years most Mm -hmm. of high school and i was in another band in high school that we started at that same grade school towards the end of the year, I was like, will you let my band play a show? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, okay. And my band played a show in eighth grade for our school. Like the eighth graders put together this cover. It was like all Hooters covers and like Howard Jones. And I had a keyboard yeah. player and it was probably terrible, but, <laughs> but still in eighth grade, that's impressive. I was like, You're in a pl- playing in a band. And that band was the band I was in me, the guitar player and the, and the bass player all through high school. Yeah. And so we would play like, what were you called? We had many names. Uh, the end we were fine. Our last name was called tangible fury, tangible fury. Also on bandcamp.com. Mm. It is a nightmare. Um, Go listen to some tangible fury. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we had like, Innocence, band names. last exit mm-hmm. was another one. I feel like everybody at some point in time had their band called last exit. It was, I think that's yeah, a, that's, that's a an idea that pops into every teenager's brain in the nineties. They think last <laughs> exit. It makes I think for, you I can was steal an exit sign. Oh yeah. Yeah. You said st- I totally yeah. stole an exit sign yeah, and I had yeah. one in my room yeah. that I think I told my parents had fallen or, <laughs> you know, whatever. But yeah, every yeah. kid thinks of last exit. So I was in that band all through high school and the guitar player of that band was, and still is just unbelievable guitar player. Yeah. I mean, he went to Berkeley like after high school. He, okay. he, he was, so we're not messing around a monster. So yeah. like our first years of playing music, we were playing music way above our pay grade because yeah. he was so good. Yeah. Um, we played a lot of Zeppelin, 
We got that's advanced in tenth grade. Well, <laughs> I was just telling my daughter this, and she did not give a shit. Um, I was like, I won the talent show every year of high school. That's awesome. Like, my band won the talent show every year. The first year we played Stairway to Heaven, like the real Stairway to Heaven. That's amazing. Like it that's was, only that's only a thing amazing. that you joke about in your garage. You say one day we'll be able to play Stairway to Heaven, but like to actually be able to do it, to it, have all the musicians' ability at that level. He, I mean, he was other level. I that's mean, awesome. we spent a lot of time together. He would. We played Metallica. We played Led Zeppelin. We played like Van Halen. He could play everything spot on. Like I was like. What the fuck is going that's on? Am- we were in 12th grade, dude, and he's playing Eruption. That's, that's incredible. Like, he's still amazing. I'm the first to admit, and I'm sure there's a lot of guitar players like me, because I think we make up the bulk of guitar players. Um, you learn the main riff. You mm. learn the first minute of the song just to show off enough. But I, I, I could probably play the start yeah. Of 70, 80% of Metallica songs. Yeah. I could probably play all of them. But when it came to doing the Kirk Hammett solo, I was like, oh, forget this. Yeah. I could do the tapping part. I could do the slow solos in one at the beginning and all that kind of stuff. But you you would come across kids like that. Yeah. Their, their skill was so next level. And so, yeah. of course, he went on to Berkeley and you know he, he had that ability. I mean, That's he amazing. was... And Still I playing always, music to this day, by the way, this guy? This yes, guy? Yeah. in the same way. He's a dad and yeah. home, home stuff. But, like, yeah. <laughs> he had a minute of success. Do you remember the Bloodhound Gang? Absolutely. Right, so. Uh, the roof is on fire. And uh, what's their other? One Fierce Beer Coaster is the name of the record, I think, that was the Yeah, the they, were, they live near us. So we really? knew the Bloodhound Gang. And the. Uh, the That's uh, cool. I didn't know the that. The DJ, Cue Ball. The, the main guy. The, the DJ. Oh, okay. The He's DJ the guy who mixes the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He of the Bloodhound, Bloodhound Gang started another band, uh, which I cannot remember the name of, unfortunately, right now. But they started another side project that got the full signed, here's the money, go make a record the treatment. Label the drones. It was the drones. The drones. I've never heard of them. No. The record never came out. Oh. Nothing happened. But it was so good. So good. So good. Like Bloodhound Gang with a little hip hop touch and flourish there. Monster guitar player. Okay. And drummer. Like it was a fusion of those two like styles. It was fucking dope. Has anybody leaked the drones? If you have, get it to me and we'll uh, we'll play it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that was cool stuff. I mean that that was really good. So I I weirdly was around a lot of really good musicians and I got really lucky. Like, but, and I always felt like nowhere near as good as any of them. And like, I don't so know. Brian I've heard him play drums. He's a good drummer. <laughs> Brian and I had this weird rivalry in eighth grade and then lost touch for several years. And I'm in this other band, which ends up being tangible fury. And when college came and, and the guitar player went to, uh, to Berkeley and I went to college in a different spot, we we're like, I guess we're done. Yeah. You know, I'll see you this summer yeah. and we'll see, you know, we're 18 years old and I played baseball. Like I was a high level baseball player. I thought I was going to be a baseball player. That was the dream. I got money to go play college baseball. Right. And it just jumped to such a level at college that I just wasn't good enough. Yeah. And I was like, well, what the 
fuck do I do now? Like I had this hobby playing the drums, but I yeah. thought I was going to play baseball now. Yeah. Yeah. And I just went full bore into drums. I was just like, well, I guess I'll do that because nobody has to tell me yeah. any, like anything anymore. And it, I mean, it was hard. It was dark. Yeah. That was a hard pill to swallow to not pursue make. the thing that you thought you were going to be pursuing. Yeah. Like yeah. brutal. So, uh, that year, while I was in this deep depression of life-changing proportions, um, I ended up getting contacted by this guy who was the boyfriend of one of my really good friends who was a, a, a girl. She wasn't mm-hmm. my girlfriend. She was a woman. Yeah. That was my friend. Her boyfriend. She's like, my boyfriend, Dave, has a band. He wants to talk to you about playing drums. And I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. I got no band right now, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, um, one day I just went to the house and brought my stuff and I had really long hair by this point. Yeah. I've seen the pictures. And, uh, <laughs> these guys were still in prep school, like yeah. dead, dead poet society. Right. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah. this is going to be a fucking joke, you know, yeah. like, but he gave me a tape that they made in their basement with Brian playing drums. I didn't know it was Brian yet, but I was just like, this is really good. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to really learn these songs and like, yeah. Yeah. And I walked down the steps into the basement with like carrying a drum set pieces and there's fucking Brian McTeer. And I hadn't seen him since since grade school, basically. Wow. I love this. And I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. And he had a prejudice, I think, or I felt, I felt it from all of them and I could have just made it up in my head, but. I was really an outcast. I had long hair. I smoked cigarettes. I went to the shitty school and down the street. They looked like they yeah. looked like dead poet society. Dead poet and society. this guy's house had a pool. Yeah. And yeah. I was just like, I'm just a street rat. Like I yeah. always felt inferior. Um. And the music was very different. Yeah. It was like I think I would say early days was like very influenced by like REM or U2, like really mellowish side of yeah alternative. And Tangible Fury, on the other hand, was hard rock, like yeah. loud, hard rock. Um, well, it was a Tangible Fury. It, it, it kind of was. It, yeah. You I mean, could you feel can, it. If you're going to put Fury in the band name, <laughs> it's kind of have a Tangible Fury. Well, I mean, so you started there, but Mariner 9, obviously, the way you guys came together, yeah. that that's indie rock. It was a nice meld of... I heard elements and I'm only going to compare you to other bands because I'm yeah. doing it out of like, this, this is interesting because I never know what to answer when sunny day me. real estate touches in there. There was some mineral, there was some braid, there was some, um, I was trying to, it, was, it all felt very nineties, like Midwest emo. Hmm. I mean, not emo. No, that's not the right. Emo is the wrong category. Midwest indie rock. Okay. Midwest indie rock. Yeah. That's what I felt like. We had really different weird influences. Yeah. Like all of us. And and like Do you think that's a fair assessment of, of what it is, or do you disagree? <clears throat> if it was there, it wasn't purposeful. Okay. Um I hear my influences now very clearly. Like, oh, I guess I really latched onto that. You yeah. know, like this or that. Like there's a um a particular drum sound on um Helmet's meantime. Yeah. The the snare drum? Yeah. 
I love that. That sounds like a snare drum to me. Yeah. That's what I always want it to sound like. Yeah. Um, when you record a snare drum like that, it sounds like shit generally. Yeah. But live. Sounds great. Sounds great. So, uh, but I didn't catch, I didn't catch, Oh, I could hear slint in there. Uh Slint definitely made its way in there. I can hear slint in there. I I couldn't, couldn't hear helmet, but maybe I didn't listen to enough. That was later. I think. Okay. Um, uh, Fugazi. I heard some Fugazi in there. A big, I heard uh, some Fugazi in there. Influence. We actually recorded our first record at WGNS with Don Zentera. Yeah. Who was the mastermind of Fugazi records. Yeah. Um, and that was a hell of an experience. So it's like we we had this amazing ride. Yeah. And by all accounts, very successful. Yeah. But it always felt like unfinished. Yeah. Like, fuck. Like, yeah. you know, we never got the... I can't tell you what it's like to do a bus tour and get sick of touring because yeah. I was never sick of touring. Yeah. We all left our dumb retail jobs for weeks at a time and drove from city to city. Yeah. Played music, got drunk, met people... Like it was unbelievable. Yeah. Every second of it was unbelievable. Like we, <laughs> we used to do this thing cause there was no GPS either. So we used a Thomas guide. Mm-hmm. Do your best. Thomas you know? guide, which, which I, <laughs> for those of people who don't know. Yeah. So Thomas guide is now, was this a Thomas guide in your part of the country? It was a country Thomas guide. Okay. So when I moved to LA, when I moved to Los Angeles, I moved here in 2001. And the first thing that anybody ever told you to get then was a Thomas guide. I'm from Oklahoma originally. I lived in the Chicago suburbs, but they said, if you're going to survive here, this is pre GPS, this is pre iPhone. You need to have a Thomas guide. It was just this giant, massive book where you could go, okay, this is the street. This is the address. And it would show you this really, you know, detailed, okay, now I'm in West Hollywood or now I'm in Beverly Hills or whatever. And it was really the only way you could get around here. And we had that yeah. thing like a Bible in the back of your yeah. car. Yeah. It's the only way you're going to get around L.A. And now I remember the day that I was like, I don't need this anymore. Yeah. I never need this ever again. Yeah. So you did the same thing. Oh, my God. We had maps, like regular yeah. maps. Yeah. And uh, we would spend hours and days plotting a tour, Yeah, like plotting the maps. Late in the game, we had like, I think like a Expedia or Yahoo Maps or something. Like, yeah but that might've even been a different band, but like it was not easy, but it was awesome. Like we would, we had this thing where on the major freeways, every couple of miles, you'll see like these crazy weird roadside attractions. And we're like, we're going to stop at every one that we see yeah, and build in the, like we would leave a show after playing at like one in the morning to get on the road so that we would have the built-in leeway time to be able to stop at these dumb yeah. roadside attractions, like the world's largest whatever. Yeah. And just, oh, my God. It was it's so amazing. fun. It's amazing. It was so fun. So, I mean, did you guys get a chance? I know you didn't get to do the the big tour bus, but did you get a chance to have bands that you opened for or played a, a show with one night, and you're like, wow, I can't believe we're sharing the stage with these guys? And if you did, yeah. who, who, who were some? Um. If you can remember. Yeah. So one of the, now, now Mariner nine had an offshoot, which was me, Dave, the bass player and Tyler, who was like our road manager, but was also just the, one of the coolest guitar players ever. Like he, like if you asked him, he would say he's a terrible guitar player. Yeah. So he can't sit down and play you a tune and you'll be like, Oh, that's this song. Right. But something about him makes the most amazing tones come out of a guitar amp yeah 
and I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like it's just, nobody can do what he does yeah. and it's incredible. So we had this other side band called the long drive Yeah, that I always kind of count together with the whole project. Cause Jason played a lot of long drive stuff. Brian recorded a lot of long drive stuff. So like yeah. it's, it's part of our collective. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like that. So the show is kind of mixed together between us. I think the biggest show we ever played, we played the Trocadero in Philadelphia and we opened for Swerve Driver. That was a long drive. Oh, nice. Yeah. And that was incredible. And I have a Smashing Pumpkins related story to that tour. Um, We played at CBGB's, but I don't remember with who or anybody special. Well, you got to play at CBGB's. That's amazing. Um, We played like the Chameleon Club with Live. We played a lot of shows with Live. Really? Are they from your same neck of the woods? They were from like Delaware and Lancaster area. So so we played a couple shows with Live. I went through my Live era when I listened to them. I mean, they were inspirational. We saw them go from the van to the bus to like the biggest band in the the country. And we're just like, well, what the fuck? (laughs) Why can't we do that? We opened for them. Why aren't we them? You know, it's just like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Like they have better songs, I guess. And they get... They have a better rep or like it, it was, it felt so personal then Yeah. that for us, we were just like, well, we're doing everything wrong, even though it feels like we're doing it right. Now I'm just like, well, we had, we did the best we could. Yeah. Like, yeah. We ha- like, I just think it's a ma- I just think this is the story and it's, it's still going on now, even though you can get, you can rally people. You've just got, yeah. I mean, on TikTok, even I see really talented artists oh my God, that yeah. are pushing their music and you're going, why is this one over here got 5 million <laughs> views or 20 million views? And this guy over here is just begging people to check out his tunes. Yeah. So it still happens. But by the way, and I think that my references for what you guys sound like, I, I think I was going way too emo. It's just that I, <laughs> I was, I was. Cause when you said slint, I was like, that's way more accurate. It, you know, slint or the sea and the cake or yeah. things like that. Yeah. There was a lot more. There was a lot more cool musicianship, and there wasn't a singer going Wah! like that. Like yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. bands I was naming did a lot of that. I think it was the sound mm. of the guitars, the drum, and the bass that made me feel like that's where I was getting the the early sunny day sound, but not the emo aspect. Yeah, it is really hard to narrow you guys it, it down. It is weird, which is it's probably a, why we never took it, off. Like, it's a tough huge, one, but and 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 maybe that's that's a huge part of it, which yeah. is. I think back then labels specifically were probably like, I need to know how to sell you. I need to be able to go into a room and say, they sound like this. Yeah. And you guys were tougher. It was hard to pin down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to get to your question though, because I don't think I answered it about who we opened for. Oh yeah. You swerve driver, swerve driver, long drive also in New York city open for modest mouse. And I think Ah. that, well, the best, the one that I'm most excited about is Mariner 9 opened for Built to Spill. That's awesome. And That's awesome. Like, who I've newly discovered like, in my adult life. Like, I did, I missed uh, them. God. I missed them as it was happening. And I got introduced to them by my buddy Noel. He was yeah. basically like, I think you'd really like them. And yeah. I, once I got in, oh I was God. in. I was like, dude. they're amazing. Unbelievable, they're amazing. Yeah. I listen to a lot of Built to Spill now. Uh, and a cool one that was really, really completely unexpected and really cool was we walked into, um, it's either TT the bears or there's another great club in Boston, but we walked into the club to, to play and ended up finding out that we were opening for, um, Lou Barlow and his project. I don't know who Lou Barlow from Sebado. Oh, so Sebado, the, um, the one, yes, one yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, dude. Yeah. 
I think I got it right. Blue yeah, Bonnet. yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And I wasn't as big a fan of that, but like Brian and Jason were like, holy shit. Yeah. yeah. So, and it was when that happened, that kid's soundtrack came out. That's why he was touring. Yeah. Yeah. By himself. Um, and Archers of Loaf was our biggest get like our favorite. We played with them all the time up and down the East coast. I know who Archers of Loaf uh, are. Welcome but... to Archers of Loaf, my friend, because okay. they are. Would just you say it's incredible. like a built to spill? Would you say it's like a, like that? No, no, no. Okay. Just good. Just rock. Okay. Just so I, I don't even, again, archers we couldn't describe. So here, here's like a perfect example, right? So the archers, great dudes, Every time we were in town, we played with them. Every time they were in town, they played with, we played with them. We would go to their town, play a couple sets here and there, play a show here and there. So we got to know them pretty well. And um, they definitely had the whole graduate from a shitty van to a badass van. Yeah, yeah. Right? They, went, they went a notch above. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and... Um, that was interesting to watch too. Yeah. But they had, I don't even know how, but they got this thing where their song got in that show, My So-Called Life. Oh. And then at the time, that's all you needed. That's all you needed to was get, to get... The, the van. Yeah. Right. So we yeah. would just be like scratching for like, how do we, yeah. how, how, and they yeah. had no idea. Yeah, it's like bands like Remy Zero, right? They got Just on Smallville. Yep. They got that as the opening uh, title song. You don't really hear anything about that band at all. I think all you got to do is just keep doing it. And that's yeah. where, like, the whole thing with Mariner 9 stopping, as it was, had a lot to do with us just being like, well, I guess we don't... What we should have done is said, well, let's just keep going. Figure yeah. out a way to just keep doing this. Yeah. But we all... Well, Dave and I, for sure... Um, just for like, well, we have to go do stuff. Yeah. Like I can't, you know, that's the same problem that we have with our it. comedy as well, which is, I mean, the thing is, is, is like outside of music, a lot of my life pursuits, I haven't been able to go. I'm a hundred percent and I will sacrifice friendships, relationships, family, and, I've just never been able to do that. And that's yeah. always prevented, I think, from me going into that region where I see friends of mine who became actors or famous comedians. But they really had to say, that's all I care about. I don't really care about relationships. I don't really care about anything else. And I really do care about my family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really do care about going camping on the weekend. And yeah, I really yeah. do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just am much more of a balanced person that I love making people laugh. And I love um, writing and playing music. But I was never that person that could say, that's all I want. That's all I want. And I feel like yeah. maybe that's what's required at least for a couple years. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe? I think so. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe not anymore. Yeah. I mean, the, the world you know? that we live in now, maybe not anymore. But uh, here's the thing. You still have to be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So what we've done is allowed the people that can be good to be good on yeah. their terms. Yeah. And that's good. That's good. But that's good. I mean, and I don't think I want what I wanted when I was 20. Yeah, like, sure. could I tour like I even could tour then? No. No. <laughs> like, so, uh, like, the cool thing is the Archers started doing this, and, like, I don't know, five years ago or so, they played, Archers of Loaf played, started playing again. Yeah. And they would just fly to the city on the weekend, Yeah. play the show, 
and fly back home yeah. for the whole week. See, and they had a 10 city tour over 10 weeks. I was like, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. You can do that. I was yeah. like, you can do that. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah. Like before the pandemic, I mean, we had a lot of, a lot of like plans to be yeah. like, all right, let's get this going. Let's do it. Let's get it back up and running not, again. You know, right. at this, but. at this stage, but the pandemic is allowing us to get back together again virtually because you could record virtually. Like I, I will be recording drums in my house here in Los Angeles. Brian will be listening in Philadelphia. Like that's amazing. It's, it's a different era. It's sick. Yeah. It's great. I can't wait to get back and I'll be in that room in yeah. minor street though. Yeah. Like we'll finish the record there. Yeah. But like we can do all the pre-production. That's amazing. Pretty effectively now. Um, yeah. It's like the the idea. It's funny because bands like if you remember, what has it been? Twelve years now, Postal Service, or maybe it's oh, a bit yeah. longer than that. But like yeah. it was so impressive back then to be for a group of people to be recording separate Separately. from each other. Each yeah. other, and now it's like that's just how things are done. Yeah. I have yeah. a friend who's in a metal band, and none of them live in the same place. None of them do. They're all. It's literally all done. I'll record these parts. I send yeah. them to you. You send them. You add it here. He goes to here. None of them live in the same town. It's yeah. amazing. Um, but before, uh, you know, uh, so Mariner 9, I want to encourage everybody to check him <clears> out. <throat> and you guys really did put out a lot of really great stuff. And it is good indie rock. Great musicians. Um, I enjoyed listening to it. I want to go in and, and dig into more. Um, but I have, to, the, I have to put a, a asterisk on yeah, listening. Yeah. If you're going to listen to a little something from the weather veins perspective, which is yeah. the green record on there, don't pick and choose songs. Literally set start aside an beginning. hour, set aside an hour and listen to the whole thing. Start yeah. to finish. It's, it's meant to do that. Kids. It will not make sense. <laughs> You'll be like, what in the fuck? is going on. Well, we come from a time and, and people <laughs> now the good thing is the majority of people who listen to my show are from our generation. You know, maybe if you're younger, um, albums were meant to be from track one to track 12 or whatever. That's just how they were meant to be. And even if it wasn't a theme or what, there was a lot of thought and consideration usually put into the order of an album, but you're saying from that one specifically, it you got to, it won't work. It if won't you skip work. Around. Otherwise, basically we recorded the first half the yeah. first 30 minutes of the record yeah. straight through. So you have the first 30 minutes. Yeah. And then here's the secret. We flipped it so that it then begins again from the end and plays backwards to the end of the 60 minutes. That's and then awesome. we recorded on top of the second half. So that's you brilliant. Hear the that's first some flaming lip shit right there. <laughs> you hear the first half in the second half. That's amazing. But it's backwards. It's oh. really cool. So you got to listen to it all at once. Now I need to listen to that. Otherwise, I, it's, it's kind of weird. It, it's already weird. Well, I'm like, glad you explained <laughs> that. I think everybody, I mean, look, I, I, Flaming, I'm a huge Flaming like, Lips why fan. Why were successful? Right? Because <laughs> you were doing weird Jeez, shit like that. I don't understand. And, and, and Flaming Lips are an example of a band that have been playing since the 80s and have had a huge breakout hits along the way. But they were examples of of a band that would do really weird things that the re label was like, uh, okay, you know what I mean? Like, why? <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah. Why do you yeah. want four albums that you have to hit play at the same time? Um, but I was going to say before we move on to my big <laughs> question for you, which is one of the things that I love about Waterproof Records is it's it, I have musicians, I have people who work in the music industry, I have that in there, but we want to get into what was the band that really drove you. But before we say that, I wanted I wanted to mentioned the building the studio thing really mm. I, I I think to myself I was just the other night watching the Beastie Boys documentary that's on Apple yeah. uh, plus and they did the same thing mm. and I just imagine that 
if you're an artist and you are given a little bit of money or you have a little bit of money, that has got to be the smartest thing you can do is to build a space where you can record music. Yeah. And now it's easier because now you've got laptops and all that kind of stuff. But back yeah. then, just the having... The entry is lower, yeah. but the room isn't. And it like isn't. getting the sound that, you're, that you yeah. want... I mean, listen, I think I'm listening. I think Billie Eilish, her record is amazing. Yeah. And it sounds great. Yeah. And I've seen her live and it's great. Yeah. They didn't have any instruments to record. Yeah. It's all digital. Like it's digital. So yeah, you can do it and it'll sound fine. Yeah. But like. If you're playing in a room. I like playing together and hearing like, that's why people like live music. So if you can imagine that you can capture the liveness and love it as much as you Capture love seeing the live. Capture the liveness. Right? <laughs> I want that on the back of a tour shirt. <laughs> Capture the liveness. Dude. <laughs> That's why, like, as much as you can, we like to track everything together and yeah. then layer on top. I mean, that you were talking about that Beatles Documentary, thing, like, yeah, get back. Dude, they piece that shit together with, like, an 8-track or something. That whole documentary. I swear I could do a whole episode. And I'll do a whole episode on it, maybe. Um, but that blew my mind. But... Okay, so now studio aside, I asked Matt and every guest I'm going to have on the show, I'm going to be like, and this is a tough question. We know it as music fans. You go, you don't want to be asked like the favorite of all time because you go, well, which category yeah. of my existence are you yeah. referring to? But for musicians, there are albums that you hear and it changes everything. It either inspires you. You're a drummer, a great drummer. There had to be that thing that you heard and you were like, that's it. Drums for life and the style is this and I feel this way. And everybody who watches and listens to this show knows Pumpkins for me were the life-changing band. But what was it for you? Yeah, so as I said, I kind of like grew up with this like classic rock yeah. bent, you know, Van Halen and, and all that. Um, really love the police and really like Genesis and Phil Collins and all the, all these things, but all like, you know, I don't know, traditional ish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. From a drumming standpoint, like lots of greatness, but also great drummers in those bands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I want to say it was like 1988 or so I was playing in that band in high school. We were covering all of those bands playing at proms and shit for three hours, all the, the classics, Boston and, you know, and then living colors vivid came out. There we go. And me and the guitar player and the bass player were like, Oh, (laughs) you could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And in the band, because we were like playing all these covers journey, we played a lot of journey. Um, I sang. Yeah. So I played the drums and sang all of these songs Living Color comes out from a musical standpoint. We lost our mind. Yeah. Cause like I said, he was playing Van Halen and all these crazy yeah. virtuosos <clears throat> and you get to living color. They added this element that, that made it so interesting. I think of it as adding old school, like James Brown funk yeah. to hard rock. Yeah. And the things they would do uh, uh, to to move the beat along, we saw we ended up going to see them a lot. Yeah, you know because they were touring a lot when that record came out. 
we saw him in like college gyms and stuff, small venues. And the way that Will Calhoun played the drums, especially and, and particularly his hi-hat foot. So he would chip the hi-hat foot with the quarter note throughout the song. Drummer talk. Yeah. yeah. Deep, no, deep I want you to do song. it. I want you to do it because so I have drummers that listen. He'd be, he'd be going with the hi-hats all the time, but hit the hi-hat with the hand he was hitting the snare drum with in between hits. So that, so if you listen to the like little things that he would do in between hits, it just, I don't know, it blew me away. Yeah. And I know people had done it before, but it was the way he did it, the way he did it and incorporated it, incorporated. I was like, Oh, like I just loved it. I loved it. And he also incorporated the bell of the, uh, of the ride symbol Kind of like, you know, like uh, Neil Parrott, but yeah, sure. cooler. Yeah. Because they were playing these, can the drummer get some funky beats sped up? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. We just loved it. We we dove in. Like, we switched. We turned into a three-piece band. You know, I still sang it, but, like, we were like, we don't need all these extra keyboard people and crap. Get out. We're yeah. not doing that anymore. We're going to play really loud and really hard. Maybe. And we're going to cut. We literally played all of the songs on that record. Like the first six songs on that record we, we covered and played. Which is no easy task. I, I don't. And I sang it. Like I was trying to sing uh, it on the way here. I would kill I to hear just, this. Oh I would kill. Because God, the only way you could do that <laughs> is if you hadn't hit puberty yet on some of those notes. Um, here's what I want to say. I want to say the moment. So when Matt told me on, we were texting and he wrote living color and I said, and and I'm going to tell you, and this is a a true reaction. I said, of course it is. (laughs) Of course it is. You want to know why you're a musician. Mm. And I think that there are bands that have existed that musicians like more than the general public Mm. likes them. I think. Living Color is a fantastic band, and I love them, but musicians love them more. Yeah, yeah. It's like Rush. It's like yeah. Dream Theater. It's like it's like <laughs> bands that are technically good yeah. but also make great music. Musicians really kind of perk up because yeah, – It's inspiring. Yeah, you can, you can have your pop single. You can have your hard rock song. You can have your Nirvana that's power chords and Dave Grohl just flailing around there. But when you see everybody in the group has an, an incredible amount of skill yeah. and they're bringing them together, Living Color brought together mm. soul, R&B, hip-hop, hard rock, metal – um, reggae, yeah. they brought in all these fusions and styles and, and Corey Glover, mm-hmm. his vocals outstanding. So the difference between you and me, I'm a few years younger than you. So I missed vivid and joined in on times up. Okay. And so then I went back. Okay. So I, I, I know vivid, but times up was the intro record for okay. me. Yeah. And I'll never forget. I was driving in the car with my wife in my twenties and we're playing CDs and or going through playlists or something. And Love Rears Its Ugly Head comes on. Yeah, yeah. And I start going nuts. I'm singing. I'm moving. <laughs> I'm gyrating my shoulders. I am going, it's early morning. You know? And she looks at me and she goes, this is the most unlike you piece of music I have ever seen you like. She's like, I like it, but I'm surprised that you like it. And, it, and that was the thing about living color was mm. it brought me in to these other 
styles yeah. of music in such a seamless way. Yeah. And so when you said Living Color, I was like, yes, yes, a musician, a guy who loves drumming. And Will Calhoun is a unbelievable drummer. Yeah. And uh, Vernon Reed is a killer guitar player. And they had uh, the the bass player back when we Muzz were- Scullings Muzz Scullings was the guy. Muzz yeah. Scullings, yeah. but now it's Wimbish. His name is- yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I forget his first name, Wimbish. Uh, but he's been with them since 92. Yeah. And- you know, if you're not familiar with Living Colors' work, you know, Color is spelled in the British way. And I and and fun fact, it is spelled that way because Vernon Reed was born in England. And so he decided when he named the band, he said instead of just the regular American spelling of color, he added the U to give that little flourish. Yeah. That was Vernon Reed's decision. Um, and they they had they had vivid, they had times up, then in '93 they had stain. And then right after that album, it dipped, they broke up, and then they reunited in 2000. And since that time, they've come out with three more albums, one in 2003, one in 2006, and, and then in 2017, they just released something. I might yeah. be messing up those dates a little bit, but you get the idea. They're still playing around a They're lot, They're still yeah. playing. And, you know, if you've never you, – you definitely have heard Cult of Personality. There's no way you've gotten through your life without hearing yeah. Cult of Personality. And that was the first piece mm-hmm. that I ever heard from them. Yeah. And I remember the riff that the way that he played it, the fingers were so far apart. (laughs) And I just remember feeling like I'm going to have to break my fingers in order to play this thing. But what was it um, when you listened to Vivid and it was those amazing uh, drum parts that you heard him do, you even said that you chose your drum kit color based on that band. Tell me about that. Yeah, so – I had an old drum set that I, you know, like I was telling you, I, I wish I still had it. But yeah, you, know, you got to you got to expand on this a little bit. He told me this yeah. before the show, so yeah. you, you had this drum set. Yeah, so I had this I had this old drum set. It was a it was a '63 Slingerland drum set for drummers that collect drum sets. They'll realize how dope that is. Um, <laughs> and I was young and I was stupid, and the hardware that held it up was shitty, and it wouldn't stand up to playing Living Color. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Couldn't handle it. So I sold it and I bought a set of, uh, Tama swing stars and I got red ones because I mean, at the time, Will Calhoun was playing red, red drums, a red five piece. It was pearls actually. Yeah. But he played and I didn't like pearls. Um, why <laughs> this is they, the nerdy drummer yeah, talk um, that I want for that <laughs> listeners. They, I didn't like them cause the mounts that you put the toms on, it had a hole in it that you put the tube through. Mm-hmm. And it kind of ruined the resonance of the drum. So nerdy. Yeah, yeah. Tama didn't pierce the. <laughs> Tama didn't have the ones that uh, broke through, broke a hole through the shell. Yeah. And then they evolved to what like DW used, which is like the the suspension type of mounts, so you don't pierce the drum at all. I love it. Yeah. There's a there's drummers that are loyal to other brands that are going yeah, but yeah. while they're listening. But anyway. Yeah, I I. I Glommed onto that one. Also, the drummer Dave was sickening from the Hooters played Tama drums. Okay. So that was another reason. It was why. another, uh, like, I knew, and their their logo was the strongest name in drums, right? So yeah. I could see how sturdy the the stands were and how yeah. easy they were to set up. So I I dug it. And yeah. they, they last to this day. I mean, they're still, yeah. still great. But that would be the base. So you chose that because, you know, back, back to my theory, which is it's just... We we all love bands. You mentioned Genesis. You mentioned the Police, and and drummer of Police is Stuart, Stuart Copeland. Copeland. Yeah. Now a great 
great musician, but there is a, I, I would imagine you've experienced as a drummer and you could speak to it even more, is there's by the book mm. and then there's... He wrote his own book. And then there's somebody who does it their own way. Yeah. yeah. And so probably the the people that stand out for drummers are pre- people who do their own thing. Do you think that that's true? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's really hard to, um, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to tastefully (laughs) stand out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like tastefully stand out. That's a good way of putting it. Like Phil Collins is exceptional. Yeah. And he could drop into the pocket. Is he? I I don't know this at all, but I mean, I would not look at Phil Collins and think, oh, that's an exceptional drummer. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. You heard it here first. Yeah. And do you think he has a tangible fury (laughs) (laughs) all around him? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, he was really good. Um, Stuart Copeland, I mean, he stands alone. Uh, I don't even know where to put him. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's just, Incredible. And I think the reason I loved him so much is because he didn't really like, and I think the reason my theory of why the police broke up is <clears throat> because Stuart Copeland played the song different every time. Really? Yeah. That was probably the reason why. Different speeds sometimes. Wow. Different, like basically got the gist of the song, but like, yeah. Did, did whatever he felt like he was going to do. the fucking song. <laughs> like, back off, Sting. And, yeah, and Sting and is Sting like... Sting wanted it exactly. That's not how it goes. Boy, we see signs of yeah. that in Get Back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we see yeah. these dynamics of these bands. Um, yeah. The one who goes, I see it. If you already I know what you wanted it, to hear. Yeah. Then it's really hard to accept this kind of, I'm going <laughs> to go and play and yeah. do things. Yeah. it's. I mean, that's one of the hardest parts about being in a band, I think. Yeah. is especially with somebody who's really good who's a good songwriter they hear it already they'll they'll they know what they want they'll deal with your version you know like <laughs> they'll tolerate yeah, you yeah it's like okay but it'd be better if you played it this way yeah. don't you think yeah. and and like so i could see that dynamic becoming a problem yeah we just with Mariner 9? No, i i understand why it becomes a problem oh, okay Mariner 9 i think most of the time kept that in check yeah um, <clears throat> and maybe that's also why you didn't blow. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say blow up because you didn't have a complete control freak. You guys were so balanced, and oftentimes balanced bands create sounds that are very unique and hard to identify. Yeah, I think they. I think though that the songwriters predominantly were Brian and Jason, and I think they both were very good at compromise. Yeah, and also would be the kind of person to be open to be like your version's better. Like after you, after it's over, sometimes after yeah. you record it, they're like, "Okay, you're, that's fine. I, I like yours better." Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, it's 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 so funny the way those those things evolve and those little arguments and like those little fights for yeah. for it was neat. That's why I really liked Get Back because it's like, yeah, it's boring a lot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, my mom, I told her cause she loves Beatles, but she loved Beatles before the drugs. She liked the lame, um, not lame, but she liked the poppy <laughs> yeah, yeah. young bubblegum Beatles, which are still great in, in, you know, what, what they, thing. yeah, for yeah. what they were. But I mean, really when they get creative and they start smoking pot and getting, getting out there, that's where the Beatles get amazing. Yeah. But, um, but I, I told her to watch get back and she just said, I turned it off. I got bored. And I was yeah. like, I never got bored. I mean, in, 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 
episode two, yeah, there's a little bit of that kind of we're hovering around in that studio and we're kind of not going anywhere. But I think because I've been in bands and I'm a musician, I kind of enjoy just watching people fuck around on their instruments. I yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. It's fun. I was pretty I, – I thought it was well done. I liked how they let you discover him playing Get Back for the first time. Oh, that was one of the best scenes in the whole thing. And you know what it's going to become. I know. It's just you, like – You're oh. watching it happen. What a moment. Iconic. Really Iconic. Cool. And, and, and then for me, the payoff, of course, was – well, I, again, we're on Get Back. I just finished it last week. But um, <laughs> the, the payoff of the rooftop show. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll, this is my last thing I'm going to say about it, and then we can move on to closing out the podcast talking about – did you I cover Living Color Mariner, far enough? Huh? Did I cover Living Color? Enough? I think so. Yeah. I mean, unless there was anything else that we... I um, play really hard still because of Will Calhoun. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know. What I wanted to say is that the chipping of the hi-hat thing, Yeah. once the pumpkins came on the scene, yeah. that made that make so much more sense. Yeah. And helped me like add that Jimmy Chamberlain kind of... like yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I like how he does it too. You yeah. Know Cause I mean? Jimmy so Chamberlain was, also has there. jazz and technical skill to back yeah. up his point. Yeah. 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 So it, uh, I think that from an influence standpoint really always stuck around to yeah. me. Um, was there, you said there was a cool pumpkins thing that you wanted to, when we were talking oh, about yeah. bands you opened for and I didn't want to yeah, miss so we, that. We opened for Swerve Driver. Yeah. Um, at the Trocadero in Philadelphia, which I think went out of business in the pandemic, unfortunately, but it was, it was the coolest place. I mean, yeah. I saw some of the best shows ever there. I mean, the way that place would rock was just unbelievable. Great show. So yeah. anyway, we were opening for Swerve Driver and they were from England and they had toured opening for S- Smashing Pumpkins pretty close prior to us playing with them. So this was their headlining tour. So it may have been the tour before or whatever. Right. Um, and we were kind of fresh off the heels or in that period of time when Jimmy Chamberlain wasn't in the band anymore because Jonathan Melvoin died and all right, that heroin right. so stuff. So this is 1995, 96. Probably around mm-hmm. there, yeah. Melancholy tour. So I was like, how does a dude play that well every night. Cause I've seen the pumpkins a bunch Yeah, with Chamberlain and he's ridiculous. He's spe- he, he's, he is ridiculous. He's 40 BPM faster than the record still flawless on everything. Like it's just ridiculous. So yeah. I'm like, how does that dude do that? And heroin <laughs> together. Like right. I, I just, I right. don't like, I guess after the show, I, I, but like, probably what is he doing to be able to do that? Yeah. And then, I was just like, that's fucking amazing every yeah, day. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Blew me away. And it was no, it was so funny because you're sitting backstage and he's rolling one of those blunts, you know, like the cigarette, uh, tobacco and, and weed together and yeah. hand rolling it. And he's a pretty quiet guy. He's just kind of rolling it and yeah. looking at me, thinking about the question. I was like, how did he do that? Like yeah. what, what day to day, like yeah. Yeah. what was it like being around Jimmy Chamberlain? How does he get through that? And he's just rolling and thinking and scrunching up his forehead and he licks the thing. He goes, Oh, he was pretty fit. <laughs> that was his answer. That's it. Yeah. He was pretty fit. He was pretty fit. He All was right. a buff dude. He was. He buff was dude. jacked. Yeah. So I guess that's the secret, but... I mean, he's still jacked. Still pretty buff dude. That's <laughs> great. That's what a great. badass. I love that guy. Like, they weren't the same with the different drummer. I saw them at the Will Turn with yeah. the, the young drummer. He was like yeah. 19 or something. He was good. Yeah. He could play all the songs. But I ran into him here in L.A. at a movie theater. I was like, I, you know, I just, I kind of geeked out because I was like, you're playing with the pumpkins, man. 
amazing. Yeah. And he yeah. he just kind of looked at me like, I can't believe you're recognizing me. But yeah. I was like, I'm a diehard fan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what was his name? Mike Byrne. He's great. Like that. Yeah. He was great, but it wasn't. That's the thing I was talking about in the room. Yeah. Like he was good. He could play the songs. Phil Collins' son, good drummer, can play all the Phil Collins song. Yeah. Not the same. Not the same. Uh, Jason Bonham. Jason Bonham can play all the songs. Not, Not the same. The same. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't understand it. Right. I, right. But I've watched both. He's That's great, fascinating. but he's not the same. Not um, the same. And, and probably has his own footprint that he can leave in his own music. These, these artists yeah. are doing what their father did or the one before them did, and they're trying to replicate it. But the thing about um, being an artist and being a musician is really you've got to be able to have your own thing, yeah. Yeah. your own sound. Yeah. I, That's fascinating. It's, it's really interesting to see that, that difference. So that version of the Pumpkins I, I didn't like as much even though he was playing the same shit that Jimmy Chamberlain played. Yeah. It just didn't feel the same. Yeah, I saw I saw Siamese Dream with Chamberlain. I saw um, Melancholy was, I think J- Chamberlain was still playing when I saw that part of the tour. No, no, that was after, that was after Melvoin and Chamberlain was out, I think. <laughs> and then I saw Adore. Um, they also didn't have Darcy anymore. Yeah, she was like Darcy. My so now, now the end. When I saw the Machina tour, yeah, uh, that was with Melissa Oftermar, mm-hmm. and she was on bass, but Jimmy was back, and those were the last two shows I could see. I saw them five times in the nineties. Okay, um, but then and then I've seen them. I saw them on the reunion tour, uh, which was great because it was everybody except for Darcy. Yeah, but um, anyway, I, I saw them in a basketball court. You saw them in a basketball court. I saw them. I saw. Pearl Jam opened for the Smashing Pumpkins, who opened for the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1991. What? Yeah. I'd never heard of Pearl Jam or Smashing Pumpkins well, yeah. to that day. These, all these bands are completely brand new at this point. I could not believe what I had just saw. Was this in Philly? No, this was in at Penn State University. Penn State University. Dude, I, I walked into the the... Lunch That's room or whatever. Unbelievable. I wish. Do you have a ticket or anything from this I show? I don't know. I walked into the lunchroom and this girl that I knew was like, "Hey, you have a car? Will you drive me to Penn State?" And it's four and a half, five hours drive. Yeah. yeah. She was like, "I'll give you a concert ticket," and I was like, "Yeah." Mm. Who is it? And she's like, "Red Hot Chili Peppers." I was like, "Okay." okay. They've been around for a couple so years. So you know who they are. We drove to Penn State yeah. and. uh we're sitting down in this basketball court, like not a stadium, not meant for music, basketball court. Out indoor? Indoor, yeah. Oh, just the like, sound in a basketball t- court is terrible. It was so ins- reverberating, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was it was insane. And uh Pearl Jam came out, Ten had just come out. Wow. And he's climbing holy, all over the scaffolding and shit. Holy shit. And I'm like, what the hell was that with the the uh Matt Chamberlain playing drums? Yeah. yeah. So like the Alive video. Yeah. I saw the Alive video. That's like, crazy. Um, and then Smashing Pumpkins came out. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah. And then by the time the Chili Peppers played, I was like, I, I don't care about I don't that care. anymore. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'll never forget. Billy Corgan was like being a total jackass because he they, they had just beat Notre Dame or something. And yeah. he's like, I don't give a fuck about your football game. <laughs> but they played Gish. I mean, it was Gish. Yeah. It, yeah. Did he have his long hair? Yeah. Because yeah. this, yeah. Yeah, this is early. So he had his long hair. So I'm like predisposed to not like any other version. Yeah. Because I saw Gish yeah. fresh from Chicago, angry. Angry Billy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What was, a show. Really, really I am so glad. That's kind of like the perfect place to end the <laughs> the, the show, as yeah. in, as in uh, talking about what a 
what a landmark moment yeah, to see. If you dug through some stuff and you ever found like that concert ticket, that would be mind blowing. I remember before we were wrapping things up, I was about to say something about the Be- Beatles get back, but I don't even think I need to. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that another time. Um, before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with Mariner nine before we kind of tidy up the podcast? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, it was, it, it was, and still is, I think one of the quintessential things I've ever done in my life is be in a band with those guys. And, and we will always do that. You know, yeah. I think we're, we're gonna, I think that's cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll get in that room. We want to play shows again and the, 40 or 50 people that remember us from Philly will come and and see us and we'll have we'll have fun and uh we just had that anniversary like I said and we I think the guitar player posted something on Facebook and a lot of the people that were replying were like oh my god I I loved going to see Mariner 9 and you're just like I wish I would have gotten to see Mariner 9 a little bit yeah yeah um and we we did this one show uh I don't know why we did it but we our hometown bar that we would play at like once a month. We would always pack it out and, and play this this one bar. And I think we were just bored a little bit. And we're like, let's play this show in drag just for the shits yeah, of it. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know why we did that. Like it was it was the 90s, ridiculous. man. And so we all got thrift store dresses and thought it was funny to choreograph the first song. And like somebody videotaped it. I have that videotape. It's so funny. And I remember, like, I knew I would be a sweaty mess, so I didn't yeah. get anything done to my face. But, like, Brian and Jason both got, like, made up. And we're just a sweating, blind mess, like, halfway oh, through sure, the set. for sure, for sure. And uh, somebody mentioned, I put, a, I put a picture of that on Facebook, like a screen grab of it. And there was just so many people that we're still, to this day, super friends with that were there and, like, remember and, and associate us with this it's a different memory for them, which I think is kind of neat. Yeah, like yeah, for sure. Um, you were playing. Yeah, you, they were having a night out, it's watching weird. a band. It's weird. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it. I mean, we had so much fun in that van. So much yeah. stupid, dumb fun, and just so cool, man. Laughing till you want to throw up. Oh, yeah. I I do want to tell you one other thing. Yeah? I'm sorry. This is what it is. Um, tell me the story. I, I'm remembering little threads of stories I mentioned. Uh, the the bed. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you had to go in one way or the other and decide, like, I'm going to lay on my stomach or I'm going to lay on my back for the next four to five hours. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Brian couldn't do it. I'm pretty sure sure Dave never did it. But Brian and Tyler, I mean, Jason and Tyler would sometimes sleep up there. Jason, predominantly, for some reason, he could just shut himself off. And just go. And get in there. And I remember we were, I think we were in Kentucky and we had driven through the night from a gig and it was early morning, like dawn at like a convenience store to like get some coffee and go to the bathroom and Mm -hmm. brush our teeth and switch drivers. And it had been a long drive straight through like a good five, six hour, like let's, let's rip to this certain spot on the Thomas guide and and then we'll, we'll make time. Try not to stop. And uh, we all got out. We all went in the bathroom. Jason still hadn't come, in out, come out of the van. <clears throat> and we came back out from the convenience store and we're looking at the van and opened the doors. And Jason had been laying on his, on his stomach and he backed out 
and I did a lot of videotaping back then. I had, yeah. a, I had a high eight camera and we have a lot of this on camera, which, yeah. is, why, which is why I kind of remember it better. Um, Jason got out of the van and he didn't look right. He was like shifted, like, yeah. like a little blurry and a yeah. little like just off and yeah. white and just terrible. He looked terrible. Yeah. And he's just like, you shouldn't go up there like that. That's not okay. Like he was having these crazy fever dreams of the van flipping over because basically he's sleeping on top of all our equipment. Like right, right, right. Three half stacks and a drum set. Yeah. Like, and and eight inches between him and the, and the roof van. And he was just like shell shocked. He was like, I, I, I can't, I can't be up. That's not okay. Like oh he just God. couldn't even yeah, get yeah, words yeah, out. Yeah, like yeah. he had had such vivid dreams of like, cause you know, you're up there, we're bumping and like, yeah. it's loud and I can't. And so I never even <laughs> went up there to sleep, but Oh God. But oh, we yeah. still loved it. Like yeah. that is one of my favorite memories of him, him going, don't go up don't there. Go like, there. <laughs> oh. oh my God. That's great. That's funny. That's good. Well, that's it, man. That is Waterproof Records with Matt Neal. And is there anything that we can point them to of yours? I mean, we've talked about Mariner 9 on Bandcamp. Is there other places they can support? I mean, Matt is a very funny comedian that we've done shows together. And he hosted shows at a really awesome place here in L.A. that's unfortunately getting closed down because yep. of the pandemic which Stupid sucks pandemic. but uh, i'm sure you'll have another i got to find a new venue another venue and yeah. then the biggest thing you guys should know is Matt and i are in a band together yeah. and um this is the uh the the 90s cover band that uh we've been going to practice uh we have yet to really officially name or announce any places that we're playing but we're getting a set list uh, together, and it's it's a lot of good fun. So is there anything else that we could, I don't know, steer them to of yours? Uh, I have a podcast called Piece of Chaos. Yes, Piece of Chaos. Uh, he has Jacob's a great podcast. been pod- on many times. I, I realize I haven't looked at you at all. So <laughs> if you're watching this, I'm sorry. That's okay. It's my job to interact <laughs> with the people. You're just the guest. Um, but uh, yeah, 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 Piece of Chaos. Well, thank you, Matt Neal, my good buddy, my good friend. You will be seeing us playing around the Southern California and maybe further eventually yeah. um, with our awesome cover band because I'm, I'm not going to lie. We're pretty great. We're, we're, pretty pretty, we're pretty damn good. We're pretty good. <laughs> just, just saying we're yeah. pretty good. Well, thanks for joining <laughs> me, and uh, yeah. we'll see you next fun. time. Thank you. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It just won't be that kind of body.